Today's scripture comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, thanks be to God. Let's spend a few moments in prayer asking for God to bless our time together. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would speak to us in spite of us, in spite of the fact that we are selfish and that we are sinful, that we can be unkind and we can be vicious in our words and our thoughts in our motives and in our actions. God, speak to us because it is only through your word that we have life. It is only through your word that we find forgiveness. It is only through your word that we have the power from above to live the life of hope and joy and sacrifice and goodness. It is only through your word that we find eternal life. And so, God, would you speak to us in a way that only your words can, bringing peace, bringing hope, bringing blessings that we all yearn for and chase after and counterfeit things. Lord, help us to relinquish those false quests and to pursue your kingdom and your righteousness alone. We ask, God, that now that you would speak to us as we sit at your feet and that you would bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're finishing today the sermon series that we started a little over a month ago entitled, It Feels So Wrong, It Must Be Right. And the whole purpose of this series was to spotlight some common feelings that Christians feel, feelings that in and of themselves are very discouraging to go through, uncomfortable, even painful to experience, which so easily gets misinterpreted as either lack of faith or no faith at all. But what, as I try to show you in this series, is that by going through these feelings that are so common to our brothers and sisters and to ourselves in the faith, are not actually evidence of lack of faith, but actually indications of genuine faith, right? That these feelings that we go through are actually indications of genuine faith. Faith, feelings like homesickness, feelings like inner turmoil, feelings like being insignificant in the eyes of the world, feelings like being a nobody going nowhere, right? We talked about these things, which means today we come to the final feeling that we're going to focus on, feelings that come specifically from the situations of suffering. As I hope to show you today, there are certain feelings that arise when we go through sufferings in life. And one of those things that can easily happen as we experience these feelings because of our sufferings is again to think that we have been lost by God or that God has abandoned us and therefore we have no hope. Well, here we're going to correct that by taking a look at this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Because here the apostle Peter is going to drop some mic-dropping truth bombs upon us to where as we think about what he has to say, can really counterman and counteract these feelings that we will feel as we go through the various sufferings that we are all bound to go through as we walk on this earth. And so with that in mind, three things I'd like to share with you this morning that Peter wants us to understand. Number one, suffering doesn't mean you're worthless. Suffering doesn't mean you're worthless. And number two, suffering doesn't mean, doesn't make your life purposeless. 
Suffering doesn't make your life purposeless. And finally, suffering doesn't mean God is against you. These are the three things that Peter wants us to grasp as we take a look at these verses. Number one, suffering doesn't mean you're worthless. It doesn't mean your life has no purpose. And it doesn't mean God is against you. You ready? Let's jump right into the first point. Suffering doesn't mean you're worthless. Back in 1990... An organization called the World Bank, which is a non-for-profit that focuses on trying to alleviate poverty in third world countries, did an interesting study where they asked over 60,000 individuals across 60 different countries, mostly in the third world, this question. What does the suffering of poverty done to you? How does the suffering of poverty that you are enduring right now, how does it make you feel? And they came up with a few answers, and I want to give you a few samplings of what some people said. One person from Moldova said this, for a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. Someone in Latvia said, during the past two years, we have not celebrated any holidays with others. We cannot afford to invite anyone to our house, and we feel uncomfortable visiting others without bringing a present. The lack of contact leaves one depressed, creates a constant feeling of unhappiness, and a sense of low esteem. And then finally, someone from Uganda said, when one is poor, she has no say in public, she feels inferior. Now, what I find so fascinating about these statements is the fact that these people come from various different parts of the world, from varying different cultures that usually have no commonality. And yet all of these people who have made these statements share one continuous thread. And that is their feelings that arise because of their suffering. And what is that feeling? It's this sense of worthlessness of having no sense of dignity, no sense of worth, no sense of value to the point where they would even call themselves garbage, refuge, to the point where some would even dare say that this is who I am. This is what I deserve. I deserve nothing better. Some of you may know this tragic situation that we sometimes encounter in our culture. Hopefully you have not experienced it firsthand, but it is something that is all too pervasive in our society. And that is this phenomenon known as battered wife syndrome or battered spouse syndrome. It's a situation that arises when a person, usually a woman, gets chronically abused by their spouse, either physical abuse, sexual abuse, or mental abuse. And if you ever encountered with victims of this situation, you know that in many cases, these people, again, usually women, fall into this depraved mindset where they'll say things like, you know what, I deserve this kind of abuse. Or if they don't say that, they'll say something like, I don't deserve anything better. I am worthless. It's a sad thing to witness. And yet it validates, does it not, the common feeling that arises when we go through sufferings in life, right? That I am a nobody. I am worthless. Now, hopefully none of you in here are in that kind of a situation in your relationships. And hopefully none of you in here are suffering the level of poverty in the third world that the people in the World Bank did a survey on. But nevertheless, you do have to be careful in how you view yourself, do you not? Because even though you may not be in an abusive relationship, even though you don't live in the third world, you suffer, don't you? Of course you do. You know, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We live in a broken, dysfunctional world. And one of the inevitable outcomes and consequences that will happen to every single one of us is that you will suffer. And because that is a fact, not an opinion, because that is a fact, just like the battered wife and just like the poor, you will be tempted to think that you are utterly worthless because of the fact that you 
suffer. And believe it or not, that was the same temptation that the people Peter was writing to was facing. But the reason for their suffering, (laughs) excuse me, but the reason for their suffering had not to do with poverty and it had not to do with an abusive relationship. No, the source of their suffering, as we'll see in a moment, was because of the fact that they were Christians. You see, the Christians during this time that Peter was writing to lived in society that rejected Christ, that rejected Christianity, and therefore rejected Christians, which manifested in the form of severe persecution, like people getting unlawfully arrested, people being separated from their families, being tortured, some even brutally killed, or even the form of mild persecution, whether it be in the form of just discrimination, whether it be in the form of losing one's job, even though they've done a great job, right? Even though being outcast by society that is the situation that the people that peter was writing to was living in and because that was the case peter wrote these words starting in verse 10 of our passage where we read as follows concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of christ and the subsequent glories it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven Things into which angels long to look. Now, Peter says a lot of things here, okay? But one aspect that I want to highlight right now and draw your attention to is simply this. Peter is saying within these three verses that we've just read this message. You are not worthless, Christian. That's what he's saying. You are not worthless. In fact, quite the opposite. You are a person of incredible worth. You are a person of incredible value, evidenced by the fact that you have been given the greatest honor of all mankind. That's what he's saying here. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, Peter. What do you mean by that? What is this great honor that we have been given? What are you talking about? Well, let me explain. As I said a moment ago, the people Peter was writing to were Christians suffering for their faith. That means they were misunderstood, they were misaligned, and they were mistreated simply for the fact that they were followers of Jesus. Which means what? It means these people were not simply just suffering a sense of worthlessness, but they were suffering a sense of worthlessness because of Jesus. Okay? And the spiritual danger that they were facing also happens to be the same one that we are growingly more and more having to deal with in our day and age now. And that is as Christians today, we are starting to come to the conclusion that maybe, possibly, Christianity isn't worth it. That maybe we should just give up living the Christian life because after all, the only thing it seems to be doing right now, here and now, is making me feel so worthless in the eyes of a society that is becoming more hostile to my faith. You see, suffering as a Christian... Suffering because you are a Christian is particularly threatening because it not only makes you feel worthless, which any form of suffering will do, but it has the added danger of making you think that the source of your unworthiness or that your worthlessness is due to the gospel. Let me say that again. Suffering because you are a Christian is potentially threatening today. You know why? Because not only will it make you feel worthless like any kind of suffering will, but it can cause some of us, most of us to think that the source of our worthlessness is because of the gospel. And it's because of that potential danger, Peter says what he does in verse 10. Look again at what he says in verse 10. Do you see how he says there that the prophets search intently and carefully inquired? Do you know what that means? It means people like Moses, people like Elijah, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, 
they all wanted to know what the Christians Peter were writing to knew and what every single one of you Christians in here already know, which is what? The gospel, right? The gospel. These Old Testament saints wanted to know what you know right now with full clarity, the gospel. And here's what's even more crazy. If you go to the end of verse 12, Peter goes on to say that even the celestial host, the angels above yearn to know what we know right now. Again, the gospel. Now that is so interesting. Peter is telling us that some of the most highly esteemed characters amongst God's people, the spiritual giants of the past, I'm talking about the who's who of the panorama of God's people, as well as the cosmic hosts of heaven, they all yearn to know, they all wish they could know what we already know already in all of its fullness, the gospel. You know what that tells us? What does that tell us about the gospel? The gospel tells us that it's privileged information. The gospel is privileged information. It was information that even the likes of Moses and even the archangel Gabriel was not fully privy to. They did not know the fullness of the gospel the way we know it now. Right? And yet they yearn to know it. What does that say? What does that say about you, Christian? You know what it says? It means by virtue of the fact that you know the gospel. That you understand what the gospel is simply by possessing that knowledge, simply by being privy to that privileged knowledge means that you are not a worthless person. And more importantly, the gospel is not the source of worthlessness to you whatsoever. In fact, quite the opposite. By you possessing knowledge of the gospel makes you have a status that sets you apart even above that of Moses, even above the most mighty angels surrounding the throne of heaven. That is what Peter is saying, and that is the first thing Peter says you need to do when the feelings of worthiness eventually come upon you when you inevitably suffer in this world. The moment you start thinking because of your sufferings that, man, I'm just a worthless person, Peter would say, remember of the fact that you possess knowledge of the gospel, Christian, because by knowing that gospel, by having it in your heart, by knowing it in your mind, you have privilege. You have status that goes beyond even that of some of the most veteran hall of fame saints of the Old Testament and even of the celestial throne that surrounds Jesus as we speak. Now you're hearing this and you're like, wow, pastor, that's pretty deep. But let me ask you this. How exactly does knowing the gospel Give me a privileged status to where I could use that to undermine any sense of worthlessness that I may be tempted to indulge in when I'm suffering in this world. You know, that's a great question. And I have good news and bad news. The good news is I'm going to answer that question. But the bad news is I'm not going to answer it now. <laughs> I'm going to answer it at the end of the sermon. My last point, because after all, I don't want you guys falling asleep on me. Right? I want you to hold on to that thought because there's something else Peter wants to help us to understand so that we can fully understand the fullness of what he's saying. And to explain what I mean, let me go to my next point. Suffering doesn't make your life purposeless. In his book, Things Unseen, Pastor Mark Buchanan tells an interesting story of a person that he met off the streets, a man by the name of Richard. Take a listen to his story as he recounts about it in his book. He writes this, quote, Last February, I met Richard. Richard was 44, he looked 60, and has been living the streets since he was 12. He was a junkie. To support his habit, he was a male prostitute until he got too old and ugly and diseased for that. Now he has AIDS and dying hard. (coughs) He came by the church looking for prayer, money, food, someone to talk to, 
odd jobs to do. I helped him out a little bit. The last time I saw Richard was on a gray, rainy day in winter. I bought him a bus ticket and put him on the bus. He was going to his mother's home in Calgary, Canada. He hadn't spoken with her in almost 15 years, but he was hoping he could go home to die. Richard and I sat in my car waiting for the bus. The rain drummed heavy on the hood and made the windshield opaque, and inside the car the window steamed with our breath. Richard was weeping, weeping and shaking. Almost incoherent, he sputtered, I wish I'd never been born. My whole life has been a mistake. My whole life has been misery. Now, as you hear this story, you can easily pick up the sense of despair, the sense of hopelessness that this man, Richard, was feeling because of his sufferings. And here we encounter another feeling that is inevitable when you go through sufferings in this world. And that is you will feel like you are living a pointless, purposeless life. That your life has no meaning, that your life has no justification, that your life has no right to exist almost. I mean, look again at how Richard describes his life. He doesn't say, my life is filled with me making mistakes. He said, my life is a mistake. My life is a mistake itself. My life has no purpose. It has no right to exist. And if you think about it, what Richard's saying is simply a logical conclusion to what the culture says about life to us all the time. What does our culture say about life, right? If it feels so right, it can't be wrong. But conversely, that also must mean if it feels so wrong, it can't be right. And that is what Richard was feeling. Because of the fact that he was suffering, which is another way of saying his life wasn't going right, he came to the conclusion, therefore, my life must not be right. My life has no right to exist. My life has no purpose. It has no meaning. It has no significance. I believe this is why so many of us while we're always chasing after comfort, aside from the fact that comfort feels good, I think we're terrified of not having comfort and what that might mean about us, right? I think the reason why so many of us are always chasing after comfort is so that we can avoid suffering and thereby avoiding suffering, we can avoid this kind of conclusion that inevitably could be the logical conclusion that anyone could come to, right? That my suffering means my life isn't going right. And because my life isn't going right, that means my life isn't right. That I have no right to exist. My life has no justification, has no purpose. And so we chase after comfort as a way to try to contradict that. But you know what? Peter's going to show us another way on how we can contradict that without necessarily having to chase after comfort or needing comfort. We go back to verse 10 and 11. Let's read it again. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So here's what Peter's saying this time. He's saying, when you suffer, do not think that your life has no purpose. When you go through something that feels wrong, Peter says, do not come to the conclusion, therefore your life is wrong or that your life has no right to exist. Why? Because he says for thousands upon thousands of years, God's people in the days of the Old Testament, they suffer tremendously. In fact, they suffered worse than any of us modern day people tend to suffer here and now. And yet... In spite of all their sufferings, they were able to maintain a sense of hope and a sense of purpose. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. Can you imagine what the worst sufferings that you could go through in your life right now? You probably don't have anything to think about as a hypothetical. You probably think about it now, right? What are the worst sufferings that you think you could endure or your family could endure? Could it be a loss of job? 
maybe homelessness as a result? Could it be a spouse leaving you for another person? Could it be a child being taken away and sold into slavery? Could it be your child being murdered in front of you? These are some crazy atrocious things. And they are not in any way minimal sufferings. And yet here's what's so fascinating. What's so shocking. All the things that I just mentioned to you as hypotheticals were real life events that happened in the saints of the Old Testament. If you ever read through the Old Testament, you'd be shocked to discover what some of our ancient brothers and sisters had to endure in the various sufferings of life. Where their children were sold into slavery. Where their children were murdered right in front of them. Where their spouse did leave them for other people. Right? What we think is hypothetical were real life events in some of the saints of the old days. Of the days of the Old Testament. And yet, they still maintain a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, and a sense of hope. Why is that so important for us to understand? You know why? Because I know one of the dangers that we all can fall into when we suffer is somehow interpret our sufferings as being especially egregious, especially dark, especially painful, as if to say that we are the worst victim of suffering in the history of mankind to where we stay locked into this victim mentality and go, oh, woe is me. Woe is me. I have no meaning. I have no purpose. And you just wallow and cave in on yourself. And you're just so consumed and obsessed with the fact that all of your sufferings can cause you to think no one but yourself because you think you're just the worst tragic victim of all. Garbage. Garbage. Absolute garbage. Here's something hard to hear, and yet you need to hear. Your sufferings are not special. Let me say that again. Your suffering, as painful as it is, they're not that special. Because in the days of the Old Testament, again, the saints back then, they suffered the same kind of sufferings and categorically worse than the kinds that we are suffering now. And yet they were able to maintain a sense of hope and a sense of purpose in their relationship with God. Here's the question. How did they pull that off? How are they able to do that? How did they achieve what seems so hard and impossible for so many of us when we suffer? Peter tells us again in verse 10. He says that it was through the prophets, the prophets. If you ever study the prophetic books, I'm talking about the more depressing kinds like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Malachi, right? Some of the more dark and sadder ones, right? You, you see a recurring theme. You know what that theme is? In the darkest of times when God's people were suffering either exile or being conquered or being brutalized and murdered and conquered by other empires, the prophets were able to speak a message, a message, a prophecy that in the midst of all their sufferings was able to take God's people out of this mindset of a woe is me. My life is purposeless to a life of hope and conviction and a hope to the future. Here's the question. What is that message? What was that prophecy? Well, this leads me to my final point. Suffering does not mean God is against you. One more time. One final time, again, 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter tells us really clearly what that message was, what that prophecy was. It's at the end of verse 11. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. This was the message of the Old Testament prophets. 
This was the prophecy that they were all telling God's people in the darkest of times. That somehow, some way, though it was still fuzzy back then, right? Not fuzzy to us, but even though it was still fuzzy, they had some intuition, some idea that somehow this figure, the Christ, whoever he was, wherever he was, whatever he would do, would come into the world and he would come into the world to suffer. And that somehow, some way, his suffering would bring hope, right? What did these prophets prophesy about? Sometimes unbeknownst to them. What were they preaching? They were preaching the gospel, right? For those of you who are here investigating Christianity and you're not familiar with these Christian terms, you might be thinking to yourself, oh yeah, gospel, I've heard that word before. What exactly does that mean? Well, let me tell you in a nutshell what the gospel, what that word means. You know what the gospel means? The gospel means that God, the creator, your creator of heaven and earth and all that you see and all that you don't see, that God is not against you. Let me say that again. The gospel is the message, the good message, the good news that says God is not against you. When you have feelings of worthlessness, worthlessness, and you add that to feelings of purposelessness, what's the sum result of that? What happens? You feel like God hates you. You feel like God is against you, right? When you feel feelings of worthlessness and feelings of purposelessness, all because of sufferings, it will lead you to the conclusion. It will lead you to the solution in your mind. Oh, if there is a God, he must hate me and he is against me, right? In fact, that's how most modern atheists, how they describe why they don't believe in God. You talk to a modern atheist today and say, hey, how come you don't believe in the God of Christianity? They'll say something to the effect, it's either because I have suffered or someone I love has suffered or I've seen so much suffering in this world and because of these things, I cannot believe in such a God. In this book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller, the author, he shares a quote of a woman named Haley who was an undergraduate major at Columbia majoring on English and listen to what she said in this quote. I just don't believe the God of Christianity exists. God allows terrible suffering in the world. So he might be either all powerful, but not good enough to end evil and suffering, or else he might be all good, but not powerful enough to end evil and suffering. Either way, the all good, all powerful God of the Bible doesn't exist. (coughs) This is the common belief that most atheists have about our God. And if you think and linger upon what this person is saying, you'll notice that there's an underlying premise You know what that premise says? What does this quote, what does statements like this assume? What is the underlying premise? Give up? The premise is God would never allow someone he loves to suffer. That's the premise, right? God would never allow someone he deeply, genuinely cherishes and loves to suffer. There's a problem with that. What does the gospel tell us? It tells us, that God the Son became a man, Jesus Christ, and he suffered. Let me ask, does God the Father love God the Son? Oh, yeah. In fact, you could argue that there is no one to whom he loves more than anyone, right? More than himself, even. But does God the Father allow God the Son to suffer as Jesus Christ? Oh, yes, he did. And not just a minimal kind of suffering, not a mid-level kind of suffering, Not first world problems level suffering, but deep cosmic suffering. The worst kind of suffering any creature 
could ever endure. God allow this to happen. Here's the thing we need to understand. Here's the takeaway that I want you to hold on to. We may not know why we are suffering in this world. But you know what we do know? We know why Jesus suffered in this world. And that's huge. Let me say that again. We may not know why we are suffering in this world, but we know why Jesus suffered in this world. And why did Jesus suffer in this world? So that the Father, God, could be justified in loving sinners. You and me. So that the Father would be justified in loving sinners. You and me. What is a sinner? Well, it's a person who sins. Okay. What is sin? You know what sin is? Sin is pointless. Sin is utterly meaningless. When a person commits it, it makes no sense. When a wife is yelling at her husband, how could you cheat on me? You know what most guys say? I don't know. When a police officer confronts a criminal, maybe a young teenage boy for murdering somebody, why did you do this? I don't know. Sin is confusion. It is chaos. It is meaning. It has no justification for its existence, right? That's what sin is. And you know what else sin is? Sin is selfishness. When a person sins, that sin does not make any positive contribution to anybody else, right? Sin does not bless people. It curses people, right? It is utterly worthless. It adds no worth to the world, right? Here's what you need to understand. Suffering does not make your life worthless. Sin makes your life worthless. Suffering doesn't make your life purposeless. Sin makes your life purposeless. Do you get that? The cause of any real sense of worthlessness and purposelessness in your life is not because of your sufferings. It's because of your sin. And guess what? Jesus did something about that. Jesus did the very thing that makes your life worthless and pointless. By coming to this world as Jesus Christ, so that what? He could live a life of absolute purposefulness by never committing a sin, being perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, never having a pointless moment in his life, so that when he goes to the cross, he could suffer and do a work that was the most positive, worthful thing, the most positive contribution that any person could ever make, saving the world. For those who put their faith in him. Here's what you need to understand. The gospel is what gives you a sense of worth. That is the answer to the first point. By knowing this gospel, you know the source of what gives you true worth. And it's not by avoiding suffering. It's by meditating on the sufferings of Christ. It's by knowing the purpose of why Jesus came. His purpose was to live a purposeful life of radical, perfect obedience. So that when you put your faith in him, that righteousness that was accrued from his perfect obedience would be credited to you. So he could exchange places for you. He take on your sin and suffer for it. You take on his righteousness and be rewarded for it through the forgiveness of sins, through eternal life. And guess what? Through a changed nature. To where you're no longer that selfish, perverted, evil person doing pointless things known as sin. But you start doing selfless, kind, purposeful things known as righteousness. Being a source of blessing to the people around you. Here's the fact. You are going to suffer. I am going to suffer. I'm suffering right now. (laughs) And I'm going to suffer soon. Any moment when that fifth child comes into this world. Right? All of us are suffering. And when you do, here's my 
what I'm imploring you. When you are suffering, folks, stop trying to answer the question, why am I suffering? Instead, go back to the answer to the question of why did Jesus have to suffer? Okay? Don't think about, God, why am I suffering? Go to God and say, why did Jesus suffer? Right? Because I'm going to tell you now, when you suffer, you're still a sinner, aren't you? Your sufferings does not atone for your sins. But you know whose sufferings do atone for your sins? It's the sufferings of Christ. Right? And because your sins have been atoned, you have worth. You have purpose. Even if you are suffering. Brothers and sisters, my hope and prayer to you is that as we suffer in this life, you don't forget the true source of worth the true source of purpose is. It is not by being comfortable. It's not by avoiding suffering. It's by remembering the sufferings of Jesus and what that means to you. But the question is, do you understand that? Do you grasp it? I want to end my message by asking you some simple next step questions that you can do, or not questions, but some next step possibilities of what you can do. Number one, Accept Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, but today's message has really hit the nail on the coffin, right? To the point where you're now ready to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Please take this time to pray and accept Christ and make him the Lord and center of your life. Make him the Savior and King of your world, okay? Number two, take some time this week. Memorize Romans 8, 31 to 37. You're like, what is Romans 8, 31 to 37? Ah, you have to go look for it up yourself. Right? I'm not going to do all that hard lifting for you. Go to your Bibles and look it up. Write it out and memorize it. Don't memorize it like you memorize passages of scripture like you're going to a retreat only so you can get into the cafeteria and then forget it after you're done eating. Memorize it every day. You know why? Because you're going to need it every day. Right? Especially in days where you feel overwhelmed with suffering. Memorize it. Number three... Tim Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, has been the bulk of today's message. A great book. Encourage you. Read it with an Oikos group member, right? And share some of the insights with each other and with other members of the Oikos group. And then walk with God through pain and suffering. Walk with God with purpose. Walk with God with dignity and value and worth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to see the point of the fact that as we experience suffering and as the inevitable feelings of worthlessness and a sense of purposelessness invade our hearts and possibly infect our minds, oh God, that you would come instead and prevent these kinds of spiritual infections from invading our souls to where we become spiritually sick, to the point where we deny you, to the point where we say we don't want you. Father, we can't avoid suffering but we can avoid the sense of purposelessness, the sense of worthlessness that the enemy wants us to feel because of those sufferings. Father, in moments like that, help us to not fixate on the question, why am I suffering? But instead, help us to meditate on the question of why Jesus had to suffer so that that answer could help us to endure and to thrive and to be people who will not be full of cursing, full of woe is me attitudes, but instead have an attitude of blessing, have an attitude of hope, have an attitude of a servant. 
God, would you enable us, Father, to see this truth so we can live it out in this city, in our families, in our very homes. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.